If you, have, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish up this section on husbands and wives. I think it began at Mother's Day and it's ending at Father's Day by the providence of God. And then children next week, the text specifically addresses you. So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at, uh, we'll begin in verse 31 and read through verse 33 here. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now I... Most of you were handed a book when you came in. I wanted to wait till now to give this instruction with it, just because our church fills up uh, after singing. Uh, so uh, the book you got, written by Wayne Mack, Strengthening Your Marriage, is one of my favorite uh, books uh, that I'll give out on marriage to marriages that are struggling or marriages that just know they can uh, be better. It's so practical. And what I love about it is it's really concise. Uh, the whole book is written in outline form and it's just filled with scripture. And, and one of my favorite parts about it is it makes you like the rubber meet the road uh, in the parts where you fill out, where, where you write in. So what does it actually look like? List 11 ways you can love your wife like Christ loved the church. Write them out. How often do we read the Bible that way and say, what does this look like practically? So uh, one of the jobs as elders of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, and so this is one of the resources we just recommend to you. We want to put in your hand and just challenge you all to go through. Uh, husbands and wives are supposed to have their own copy uh, to fill out their uh, own book. And it'd be good to discuss it uh, with one another. Uh, the other thing I, I would say is, in the summers, so we don't have Wednesday night in the summers. Uh, uh, we don't have Sunday school. We might actually... Scott might do a little series in Sunday school here in a few weeks. Uh, but this summer, one of the ways you could do this is we would love to have more small groups of Sovereign Grace. Uh, if you feel like uh, that you could host a small group, this would be a, a wonderful way uh, to do it. You could uh, invite some people that are also reading through this book at the same time and and decide how much you want to cover, and and you can work through it uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ.
Christ. Uh, just an idea. Uh, we would encourage you to consider starting a small group, even if you don't go through this book. If you do uh, something else. Uh, but we just wanted to uh, put that resource uh, in your hand. Uh, so as we consider this text, I want to begin by uh, just giving you an example. Have you ever used a tool for its unintended purpose? I feel like I find myself doing this all the time. It's like I have just enough tools where I feel like I can do just about anything. So I start a project, and then as I get in the middle of the project, I inevitably don't have the tool I need. So I'm using some other tool, and the whole time I'm shaking my head, saying my brother, both my brother-in-laws would be shaking their head at what I'm doing right now, using this tool for the purpose it's not meant for. And a lot of times, when I do that in my projects, the project suffers. It's, it's not as good. Uh, in many ways, I think marriage is misused. In fact, I think the gift of marriage given to us by God is misused in so many ways. And we'll look at our marriages and we'll say, why all the struggle? Why all the difficulty? And I think a big part of it is we haven't realized this. One of the greatest gifts God's given to mankind, we forget what it is for. We forget what marriage is for. Many people want to participate in marriage. Very few people really understand what they are participating in. I just think it's profound. The very, the very fabric of society and mankind is bound up in marriage and God says so much about it and yet so often we even as Christians forget what it is. We forget what it is for. We've been lied to about love. We've been lied to about romance. We've been lied to about marriage. In the, in the movies, they lie to us. All the romantic movies, they lie to us. The world teaches us, if you go to a wedding and you were to ask yourself at the end of a wedding, what is marriage? At most weddings, what you would say is it's a celebration of the love between so-and-so and so-and-so. And we're all here to celebrate this great love that they have for one another. That's not what a wedding's for. Is our love that we have with our spouse really worthy to gather all of our greatest, all of our friends and all of our families and have them travel and celebrate my great love for my soon-to-be bride and her love for me? Is that really what marriage is all about? 
One of the things I heard uh, Bodhi Bakum say is he says, you know, at the end of the movie, the climax is with this, this love story that finally comes to this final kiss. And it finally comes to this climax. And he says, inevitably, probably both the husband and the wife are saying, what's wrong with my marriage? <laughs> well, why don't I have this? And the thing Bodhi says is what you don't see is you don't get to see the fight about planning the wedding that takes place. You don't get to see reality. And so we're lied to about what marriage is and what we ought to expect out of it. And whatever we think of when we think of marriage is actually what we'll end up doing in our marriages. But according to our scripture before us this morning, what we're going to see is marriage is actually all about Christ. Marriage is all about Christ. Christ not only bookends this text, right at the beginning when Paul speaks of husbands and wives, how does he begin? He begins in, in verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And in being filled with the Spirit, he says we ought to worship, we ought to be thankful. And then he says we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then that's what starts him in on, likewise, wives to their husbands. So when he begins with wives, submit to your husbands, it actually begins with reverence for Christ. That the church, everyone, male and female in the church, is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What it means to be filled with the Spirit is to have a submissive spirit towards one another. So the beginning of this section is Christ. The end of this section, we're going to read in a moment that marriage points to Christ in the, the church. It's a profound mystery. It ends with that. And smack dab in the middle is husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. The entire thing is Christ. Which means, how often do you look at your marriage absent of Christ and when you do when we do that what we do is begin, we, be, we begin to use this incredible gift God gave us in a manner in which it was never meant to be used and so this is what we are, seek to unpack this morning you can see at the bottom of your sermon notes, I give you three questions. I think these are just practical, useful questions. When you feel heartache in marriage, when you, when you know you're struggling, these are three questions I think would be helpful asking. So I'm just giving to you on the front end. What is marriage? Ask yourself, what is marriage? What does God say marriage is? Secondly, how have I forgotten it? How have I forgotten? In what way specifically 
have I forgotten what marriage is and taken my eyes off Christ in the marriage? Ask yourself, how have I taken my eyes off Christ in the marriage? If you've done that, you've certainly just looked at your spouse. Tunnel vision with your spouse. Christ disappears. And then the crumbling of the thing God designed as so good begins to happen. And then finally, how can I walk by faith in Christ in my marriage? In light of what marriage is, what God has said about it, it's not good enough to know these things, but the Christian life is lived by faith, which means we not only know it, but we believe it in such a way that says, this is good. Christ is good. God is wise in marriage. And so I'm going to submit to what God says. All right? So let's look at our text. Last week, we looked at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So the two parts of marriage, there's this leaving and cleaving. So leaving father and mother, that can be hard to do. But it's a key part to a good marriage. Leaving father and mother, holding fast. That's like super glue. That's like cement. When a husband and wife are getting married, one of the things they're saying is they're saying, I'm making a covenant before all you and God that I'm in this forever. So the first part of the marriage covenant is covenanting to stay with your spouse forever. The second part of it is uh, and the two shall become one flesh, which points to the sexual union, but the sexual union points to the whole union between the husband and wife. So that the purpose of marriage is oneness. That's what we've been drilling through our heads. The point of marriage is two becoming one. And this points us to the gospel. We've seen this over and over again. And so today, though, in verse 32, here's what he says. This mystery is profound. It could be interpreted, this mystery is great. This marriage mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. All right? So point one in your notes is live out your marriage in light of God's mystery now revealed. All right. When Paul uses the word mystery, he uses it different than the way we usually use it. When Paul speaks of the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of uh, marriage, which points to Christ in the church, what he means is the mystery was something that was hidden in the Old Covenant that has now been revealed in the New Covenant. So this is a consistent thing that Paul does. And so he's saying marriage is a profound mystery 
that now has been revealed the very ends for which marriage was created and and what it points to. Here's what uh, John MacArthur says about this text. He says, as Paul pointed out in verses 23 through 29, marriage is a picture of Christ and its relationship to Christ. This mystery, this magnificent picture that men could never discover that was unknown to saints of the old covenant but has now been revealed is great. So I want you to think about this. We take this for granted. We say, oh yeah, I know marriage points to Christ and the church. I know, I know. Do you realize all the believers in the old covenant didn't have that information? They didn't have that mystery revealed to them. How we take for granted this mystery that was once once hidden, but has now been revealed to us. It just struck me this week. Are you thankful that God has revealed to you the full scope of His purposes in marriage. And the mystery is one we've already seen in Ephesians. We've already seen this. So here's how the mystery goes. There's two parts that are separated that become one that points to our union with Christ. We've already seen this with uh, Jew and Gentile. So The one flesh union in marriage is a symbol of our union with Christ. We talked about that last week. As we've been united with his body, so think of this, we've been united with Christ's body both in his death and his resurrection. Have we not? So his death was our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Two becoming one. This truth has already been symbolized in in an illustration of the Jew and Gentile becoming members of one body and also illustrated by the two, both Jew and Gentile, becoming one new man. Let me show you this in Ephesians. I just want you to see the full-orbed picture of this. Look at Ephesians 3 in verse 1. We're going to see Paul use this word mystery. And you're going to see the connection. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So there is a mystery. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's saying, I want you to know a mystery that was made known to me. By revelation as I've written briefly. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it was once hidden, but now made visible. Look at what he says. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs 
and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, the Gentiles are heirs with the Jews of the same promise, two becoming one. It's the mystery of Christ being revealed. Look at Ephesians 2.14. This is the chapter before. Ephesians 2.14. Speaking about this Gentile-Jew relationship in light of Christ. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through Christ or through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So there, there you see it. You see Jew and Gentile. It wasn't that the Gentiles just got to come be a part of this thing that God has going with the Jews, but it says the two together become one new man. So all of Ephesians, the whole rest of Ephesians, is answering the question, how do we live in this new birth, united to this new people in Christ, how do we live it out? So he talked about wives. You live it out this way. Husbands, you live it out this way. But what you see is two becoming one, pointing us to our being united to Christ. So we've already seen this. This isn't, this isn't anything new. But this is the mystery that's being revealed. It's all about unity. The Christian life is all about unity. Marriage is all about oneness. It just is. Which means, as Christians, we can never be okay with disunity. We can never be okay with disunity. I just went through every one of Paul's letters. At the beginning of the letters, I'm just going to show you a few. This is the meaning of what it means to be a Christian. Listen how he starts off 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, awe ought to enter the room. I appeal to you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should see Christ here. And then here's his appeal that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Unity in the body is not just one attribute of the body of Christ. It's the fundamental part of the body of Christ. It's our union with one another that reminds us of our union with Christ. And that's the gospel. That's what baptism points to. 
That's what communion points to. It all points to this unifying aspect of the gospel. Here's how he says it in Philippians 1, verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what would a, what would a manner of life that's worthy of Christ look like? So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How do you complete the Apostle Paul's joy? Paul has Christ. What's he talking about, complete my joy? How do, you, how, do, how, how do we complete the Apostle Paul's joy? Here's what he says. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look only to his own interest, but also... To the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Listen to me. You can't do it in your own strength. Wives, you can't submit to your husbands the way God's called you to in your own strength. Husbands, you can't love your wives as God's called you to in your own strength. You can't count someone else more significant than yourselves. But Christians, you have the mind of Christ in the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And then you can do which in your flesh you say, I just can't do it. That's just a sampling of Paul's driving in on unity. So marriage is God's idea. It's his institution for man. It's his creation. It's his work. It's his love that is the very standard required of marriage. Marriage is Christ's thing. Yes, marriage is a gift from God given to mankind. That is true. But its purpose transcends you. And it transcends me. It ultimately points us back to Him. In fact, marriage is one of God's most fundamental ways He conforms us into His image. Marriage provides for us countless opportunities to prefer one another and to show unconditional agape love. Does it not? A person can feel like they're an incredibly loving person until they get married. And then you say, what happened to me? I suddenly became unspiritual. No. You still exist in the same form you were when you got married. The challenges now are revealing how often and how much we lack Christ's love. 
uh, interactions. But it's a grace. It's a gift from God. Yes, it's hard, but it's a grace. So often our thinking about marriage is man-centered. It's shaped by our culture, by our sinful desires. And when we hear about God's plans and purposes for marriage, sometimes I just see it. If I'm, if I'm counseling someone, I almost see the chuckle. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about Christ and His church. Yeah. Let's get real. Let's get real. That's, that's just like a fairy tale. I mean, that's how we can feel. We become so man-centered. Marriage is all about us. And when we look at this, it can almost seem laughable to us. So get this. Understand this. Your life, not even talking about your marriage, your life is not ultimately about you. Your life is not ultimately about you. It's about Him. The gospel is not ultimately about you. Unlike K-Love will tell you. It's all about you. Well, Ephesians says it's to the praise of His glorious grace. It involves us. The gospel involves us. You want to know what role we play? Rebel. To the throne of God. Some, Some people preach the gospel this way. They'll say, you want to know how valuable you were? You're so valuable that God looked down and he said, look at that precious child. I can't do anything else but die for him. And if Christ, the Son of God, died for you, then think of how valuable you are. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is that when you and I were still sinners, rebels, Christ died for us. That's that's what puts agape love on display. When we weren't lovable, He loved us. Yes, we have our value in that we're created in the image of God and we have our identity in Christ. But it's not ultimately about us. It's about Him. And God's plans and purposes for marriage are about Him. So let me just say this. I know it's hard to hear, but just listen to this. Marriage is not about you and your feelings. Marriage is not about you and your feelings. It's not about you and your rights. It's not about you and your dreams. Isn't this how marriage gets sold to us? you got to find that guy so you have this forever feeling that's just filled by our spouse that takes us to the end of time. This is how it's presented to us. Yes, marriage is a gift from God given to mankind. That is true. But it ultimately points us to Jesus. So here's the thing. Your fulfillment in marriage will be to the degree 
you function in your marriage, remembering what marriage is in according to uh, what God's revealed in it to you. If you use marriage in a way God never meant it to be used, no wonder it self-destructs. No wonder it becomes so frustrating. And it's so easy to do it because we're lied to about it all the time. So marriage is to conform us into Christ's image and to be a picture of the gospel. We just saw this a couple weeks ago. Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands are supposed to love their wives. Husbands, your job is to love your wife in such a way, to lead your wife in such a way that she grows in beauty, in holiness, in sanctification, more like Christ. That's what you're called to do. As Christians, it's so easy to become tainted with how we feel about marriage. Here's the thing. Sin always destroys. And as sin enters our marriages, it brings about heartache. It brings about conflict. It can spoil our minds when it comes to this incredible gift God has given us. Christians can tend towards giving up in marriage. Don't believe the lie that marriage is not the gift that it is. That God meant it to be. Sin is the thing that makes it so difficult. Sin is the thing that selfishness, pride is the thing that makes it so ugly. But I got good news for you. Do you know where your marriage is located? Do you know where your marriage is located? Brandon, you want to pull her up? I just, this is one of the things I'll draw on a sheet of paper. It's just helpful to see when a husband and wife are feeling hopeless, when they're looking at each other so critically, uh, they can think, this marriage is hopeless. There's, there's no hope in it. What do they do? They come with the list. The wife comes with her list. This is what he does. The husband comes with this list. This is what she does. And guess what? They're both right, usually. It's both true. But it's like, where are you going to get to in this? Congratulations, you married a sinner. Not only do you marry a sinner, you can see the sin. Well, that's every marriage. Right? Every marriage can bring their list. But so often, even Christians will say, there's no hope. You know, 10 years, 15 years of this, 20 years of this, 30 years of this. I know you have all your, you know, seminary ideas and Ephesians 5, but let's get real. 
That can be the attitude. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. We need perspective. We need perspective. We need to be able to see where our marriage is located in the timeline of history. So you want to... There you go. So where is every Christian marriage located? So in the beginning, there's creation, right? Then we have the fall. And then Christ shows up to die for sinners. People who are spiritually dead, who need new life. They need to become a new person. Christ shows up. He dies for sinners. The Holy Spirit brings about a new birth. Not only that, the Christian who has the Holy Spirit has the guarantee that one day they'll be perfect without sin in glorified bodies in the new heavens, in the new earth. So the Christian, he looks to his left and here's the cross. He looks to his right and here's the new heavens and the new earth. And that Christian is saying, there's no hope for me. And I draw that out on a sheet and I say, what are you talking about? There's no hope for you. I don't care if it's 50 years. Christ came to die for sinners. Christ came to bring about the new man. You can have the mind of Christ. You can have the spirit of Christ living in you. The love of Christ can be poured into your heart. What are you talking about? There's no hope. I tell the husband and wife, you look at each other now, you can be unrecognizable. If you'll live your if you'll repent, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll remember what marriage is, if you'll take your eyes off each other and put your eyes on Christ, there's endless hope. This is what Christ does. He redeems broken sinners and broken marriages. And some of you here are divorced and maybe you feel shame in that. Christ came to die for sinners. This is a trustworthy statement. Christianity is a forward-moving faith. It's forgetting what lies behind. It's pressing forward to what's ahead. All in the grace of Christ. And so we see, you see it? This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So here's, here's the picture that I want you to see. Wives, if you look at your husbands and you evaluate their life and you put it on a fairness, is he treating me fairly? Are we equal in what we... You'll do this thing, I'll tell you what will grow in your heart bitterness. And here's the problem with that. Christ has called you to submit to your husbands out of reverence for Him and you can't do that when bitterness reigns in your heart. So here's what you have to do, wives. You have to look past your husband and you've got to have reverence for Christ and you have to ask, is Christ worthy for me to 
fulfill my role in my marriage the way best shines the light on the gospel? Is he worthy of that in my life? And you have to see Christ. And if you see Christ, if you remember the gospel, if you remember what he's done for you, then you'll actually have the love to show your husbands. You'll be able to submit to him, even though he's unworthy to be submitted to. Husbands, it's the same thing. If you look at your wives and you say, does she deserve my love? Does she deserve my love? You'll find plenty of excuses to give the silent treatment to her, to give her the cold shoulder, to ignore her, to not ask her questions, to not draw out her heart, to pour your life into your work and just forget about her. You'll justify it. You'll find wrongs in her and sin in her. Husbands, you have to see how Christ loved you. And then you have to see that same Christ telling you, love your wife like I love you. And so if you have the husband and wife, they're both looking at Christ. Now you have the marriage that is Paul's talking about. The marriage that is meant to point us to Christ. All right? Look at verse 33. The second point two in your notes. Live out your marriage in light of God's role for you. Live out your marriage in light of God's role for you. So here's what Paul does. He just summarizes this section. He just summarizes it. Here's what he says. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Well, we've seen that in spades, right? So we did a couple weeks ago. Love your wives as you love yourself. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see. There's two keys that Paul points to in marriage. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Two key aspects. These aren't like these, these aren't like exclusive categories. Here's what I mean by that. Back in Ephesians 5.1, at the beginning of this chapter, here's what he says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Both husbands and wives are supposed to love, right? In, in Ephesians 5.1 and 2, we're both called to love. In, in, in Ephesians uh, 5.21, we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So why does Paul pull out these two things? I think he's pressing on the sinful weaknesses that stem from the fall. All the way back to Adam and Eve. Husbands, need the reminder to love your wives. To live with her in an understanding way. To treat her gently. To know her. She's not just to make your food for you. You're to know her. Live with her knowing her. That's what he means in, in live with a wife in an understanding way. And so he presses on husbands to love. And then he says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
So it's as if Paul, led by the Spirit, thinks the tendency, the sinful flesh tendency of a wife is going to be to lose respect for her husband and in doing that, justify her unsubmissiveness. You're not worthy to be submitted to, essentially. And so he comes back and he says these two things. Now here's the key. Here's what I want to finish with. There's a book that's, I'm not saying there's not some good in it, called Love and Respect. And one of the premises in the book is that God knew wives need love and husbands need respect. And so what you need to do is, husbands, give your wives love because they need it. And, and wives, give your husbands respect because they need it. Then your marriage will go good. I want to show you how that thinking basically destroys the gospel. It destroys the gospel. It is true, husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. But the text does not say because they need it. It doesn't say that. Because if a husband and wife look at each other and say, you have to give me this and you have to give me this, they will forever be fighting. They'll they'll forever ever, never fulfill in perfection what they're called to. And their eyes instantly go on each other. No, it's out of the grace of Christ we're to do it. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ. Think of this. I know it's at the end of the sermon. Hang with me one more minute. It dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwelt bodily in Christ. And you have been filled in Him. Wife, you have been filled in Christ. Husband, you have been filled in Christ. Don't tell me you need your spouse to love you this way or to respect you this way in order for you to be okay. You are filled and overflowing in Christ. You see that? If you look at each other and say, you have to give me this. It is true, the scripture says it, tells the husband to do this, the wife to do this. But it doesn't tell them to say this to each other. It doesn't tell them to say, you owe me this. Here's what you turn your marriage into. It's a law marriage. It's a law marriage. I need to be respected to this degree. And I need to be loved to this degree. And now you've just exited out of the gospel. You just exited out of grace. And so it's my prayer that you will see Christ centrally in your marriage because it ultimately points to Christ and His church.